Welcome to Crime Over Wine Weekly. It's Sunday, February 4th. I'm Liam Collins. Here are your crime headlines. Alec Baldwin pleaded not guilty this week to involuntary manslaughter charges related to that deadly shooting on the set of the movie Rust. The actor, known for his roles on 30 Rock and SNL, was practicing a cross-draw on the set of the movie in October of 2021 when the gun fired, killing 42-year-old cinematographer Helena Hutchins. If convicted, Baldwin could face up to 18 months in prison. A judge denied Alec Murdoch's request for a new trial in just 16 minutes. Murdoch claimed the court court clerk assigned to his double murder trial for the deaths of his wife Maggie and son Paul interfered with jury members by telling them to quote watch his body language. The judge ruled there was not enough evidence that the clerk's actions had a significant impact on the verdict. Murdoch is serving a life sentence for the double murders as well as 27 years for admitting to stealing 12 million dollars from his law firm. In Akron, Ohio, a woman was sentenced to life in prison for a second time for her role in the death of a pizza delivery driver. Erica Stefanko is accused of misleading 25-year-old Ashley Biggs with a fake pizza order. Investigators say once she arrived to the location, she was tased, beaten, and strangled by Stefanko's then-husband, Chad Cobb. Cobb is serving a life sentence for his part in the murder. And this week on Crime Over Wine Weekly, we are one step closer to finding out how three friends died outside of their friend's home during that cross-country deep freeze earlier this month. Plus, it's been nine years since anyone has seen Sarah Graham. What's happening in her case and how you can help? But first, let's get to some wine. And I have Michelle Heron and Heather Holly here. Hello, ladies. How's it going? Hi, Liam. Hi, Liam and Michelle. Yay, first episode. Oh, my goodness, our first episode. This is, I, I like, feel, like, giddy. I'm, like, very, I, like, I feel like it's, like, first day of school vibes here. Like, what's happening? <laughs> it's so exciting that this is finally here because we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks and preparing. Yeah. And now we're doing it. Yeah, big time, right? And and so I've heard, gotten a lot of questions, right, about, you know, the difference between Crime Over Wine and Crime Over Wine Weekly. And so let's kind of, like, give them a little bit of a, of a feel for this, right? So Crime Over Wine, to be clear, on on your Wine Wednesday is not going anywhere. I wouldn't do that to you guys, right? You guys know me better than that at this point. Um, we're just adding a, another show. And so Heather and Michelle are going to be joining me every single Sunday um, to, as my permanent co-hosts on this, on this wild journey. Um, to give you crime headlines, right? Cases that are happening right now. Which is so exciting. And it really, like, you get the the sense of, like, a news feel, but, like, the true crime feel at the same time. And... That's mm-hmm. what I love about it the most. Yeah, and not a lot of people are doing this, right? Like, I feel like not like everyone's doing, you know, those cases that are tied up very nicely. Not a whole lot of people are doing the cases that, you know, are happening right now because people tend to kind of shy away from those because there's not like, it's not as sexy, I feel like, potentially, because it's not like there's not that sense of mystery. There's not that sense of like, I know what's going to happen at the end. It's like playing out. And it feels almost, I feel like when it when it, it's like that, like when it when it's the cases that have already kind of like happened, it's there's a sense of like disconnect beyond like you know it's like it almost doesn't feel real whereas if it's playing out right now it's feels very real right if you're watching it on the news I feel like right and sometimes you might hear about a story but then life happens and you never really find out what happened like what happened to that story? Were there any other developments? Was someone ever arrested? Did they ever figure it out? And that's why we're here. We keep track right. of all of these things and we're going to keep you updated every week. Every time there's something new that you need to know about, right. you can count on us to tell you. Right. That's the whole point, right? To, to, to give you three people who are invest as invested in these cases as you are. And we are going to be keeping an eye out for these cases 100%. And we have a lot of interesting crazy cases that we're going to kick this this podcast um off on Uh, but first we have wine of course because we wouldn't lose that part of the of the podcast absolutely not um so we're drinking apothic rose it blends layers of strawberry and watermelon for a refreshing wine that is both light in color yet dark in nature um and so heather you picked this one out um and so i'm wondering what kind of like drew your eye to this one um i won't lie it was the gothic vibes and it on the label it says a rosé with dark secrets. <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, tell me more." Well, and so it's it's a darker pink for sure. It's I mean, cuz you like I think of like a rosé and I think of like an orangey kind of rosé, like pink kind of flavor or kind of color. Um and that's this is like like pink. This is pink pink pink. Um and so I'm I'm getting I'm going to get a whole lot of like fruit flavors in here, like real bold fruit flavors for sure. And it 
it tastes like a rosé, but if you're ever in the mood for like, I want rosé, but a yeah. little bit different. This this is definitely it. Like you do get mm-hmm. those fruity flavors on the front end, but on the back end, it's very smooth, like the way yeah. red wine mm-hmm. is. And I, like I was telling Heather, I was like, I would yeah. get this again. I really like it. Yeah. And it honestly doesn't even really taste too much like a rosé. It honestly kind of tastes more like a... More like a Chardonnay, almost, dare I say. Like, it doesn't really taste pink to me. It tastes more white. It's definitely a yeah. little bit different. And if that's the vibe that you're feeling, you know how sometimes you're just like, yeah. I want something different. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and Heather definitely picked the different one, for sure. Because this one, it's, it, you're right, it definitely, the, the label gives some dark gothic vibes, for sure. Well, let's talk about um because we because I had um this week on Crime of a Wine a a pretty intense case um right that was you know pretty straightforward it wasn't I feel like not a whole lot of like um you know what we're typically used to on Crime of a Wine whereas these like weird mysteries like we found out about what happened to Noema Graber pretty early on um in that episode um and again for everyone who's listening at home like um you know this we're gonna do this in Crime of a Wine weekly too we're gonna talk about the cases that we're talking about on Crime of a Wine so that way. You you guys can feel involved and get a little bit more content out of this. Um, and so, Michelle, Heather, what did you all think about what happened to Noema? Because I have so many thoughts. Um, a lot of them involve four-letter words. Um, and so I'm wondering if y'all have those similar thoughts as well. Yeah, I definitely, that case really got me. And it does make you think about, you know, you and Lori really talked about just how she had like a normal schedule and how many people do get set in like those routines and those things that you do. And I do think that that definitely played a factor and it does just make you think, and it's terrible that somebody would even take advantage of, of something like that. But it, it did. Like, I was like, I do a lot of the same things at the same time Mm -hmm. every day too. Yeah. And I think about that a lot too, when it comes down to, um, you know, like, like just the, like, like the things that you just do on a regular basis, like it is really easy for someone to take advantage of you for that reason. Right. Just because you, you like, we were just talking about how, like as part of this podcast, right. Like my job, um, which I let everyone down on this week. So everyone knows at home, like my job is to get the wine. And so I, you know, just said, I'm going to go, go home, go to the liquor store after work now every Monday and get the wine for the week. Um, And, you know, it just seems like a typical task for me, but like if someone is out there wanting to harm me you know it's it's easy to latch on to that right and we all have those routines we just don't like to think about it like that but we do right yeah and I think a lot of times you you go and you fall into those habits that mm-hmm. feel comfortable to you like those places and things like that and because it does feel so familiar but sometimes that can be the part that that's where yeah. it gets dangerous sometimes yeah, unfortunately absolutely. something that really stuck out um on this case for me was my best friend is a high school teacher. Mm. And I know she has very strict routines, um, like with kids and stuff. And so thinking that this could happen to her potentially, just if if the students took something the wrong way, it's, it's heartbreaking and infuriating. She didn't deserve that. Obviously, yeah. they had troubled lives. Like, oh, yeah. so much went wrong here. Well, and like the grade th- excuse, right, was like is like such a poor excuse. I mean, obviously for obvious reasons, um, but like also because like they clearly were much more troubled than than that. You know what I mean? Like they were. It was cl- like clearly the grade was just like the tip of the iceberg of like all of the problems that these two kids had. Um, certainly Willard in particular. He, I mean, he he needs some serious psychological evaluation, which I hope he gets. Um, for Nuima's sake, frankly. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, but again, like, obviously, for the the reason behind this, I mean, was is the big thing that just gets to me at the end of the day is like, is like you like you and, and that's the thing is that like, you never really know how people are going to take what you say to them, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the like, not to hopefully that doesn't sound too victim blaming here because obviously Nuima did not deserve this in any way shape or form not that anyone would um but it just is makes me sad to think that like that she was just doing her thing during her job was probably seeing a lot of potential in these kids and that's why she was coming so down so hard on them because otherwise it would have just if she really didn't think that they were ever gonna 
come to anything, then she probably would have just passed them just to, just for the sake of, you know, like greasing the skids. Um, and so, and they just, they took it obviously way too far. Um, and th- that's, that's kind of what makes me sad is that it just, it seems like it was just, it just, it just didn't make any sense. And especially, especially Jeremy, because it wasn't, uh, he had nothing to do with that. Yeah. It just, for me, feels like some kind of systemic failure from the ground up. Mm. These boys didn't just all of a sudden have trouble in their lives. Yeah. So somewhere along the way, they were failed multiple times and led to, unfortunately, a whole family being destroyed and devastated Mm. and a woman losing her life. Yeah. Over something as in the grand scheme of things, your grades are really small. Right. Like they're important, but but that's so small when you look at everything in life. Right. Right. Man. Well, yeah. Crazy case. Um, and, and, you know, again, we have to talk about these, these ones too, even though again, they're like, they're tied up in a nice little bow. We have to talk about it because otherwise, you know, you know, again, someone told me recently, um, you know, people die when you stop talking about them. And so let's not let Nuima, you know, you know, Nuima's memory die, right? Like, let's, let's keep that, um, keep that going. And so again, if you're, if you're hearing this, share that, share that story with a friend. Um, so that way we can keep, keep that going for sure. Um, but you know, coming up just on the other side of this commercial break, um, we're going to talk about some news of the week, um, some cases that are unfolding right now, um, that you should have your eye on. Um, so we will see you in just a few minutes. Crime Over Wine is sponsored by BetterHelp. As someone who's used therapy for years, I know that finding a therapist can sometimes be a stress on its own, juggling your full-time job, your family, your friends, your podcast, and trying to find the right therapist on top of that can almost feel impossible. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp matches you with a therapist that works for you on your terms. It's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to one of 33,000 licensed professional therapists in as little as a few days. And because finding a new therapist is a lot like finding a new bottle of wine, if you don't jive with your therapist, you can easily switch to a new one at no additional cost. You can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash crimeoverwine. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crimeoverwine for 10% off your first month. Join over 4 million people who decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp. Of course, we have to start our news of the week segment talking about the latest developments in the infamous murder case of Lacey Peterson. The Los Angeles Innocence Project has taken up the case against Lacey's husband, Scott Peterson, who was convicted for the murder of Lacey and their unborn child back in 2004. Scott has maintained that he is totally innocent ever since his conviction, but just this week, the Los Angeles Innocence Project took the case and asked the court to allow DNA testing of a cloth from a mattress found in a torch van that was just a mile from the Peterson's house the morning after Lacey went missing in 2002. Lacey's body was found in April of 2003 when she washed ashore near San Francisco Bay, and Scott claimed his original excuse was that he was fishing the morning that Lacey went missing on December 24th, 2002. When Scott was arrested just a while after Lacey was found, he had dyed his hair and grown a goatee. He was also found with nearly $15,000 in cash and his brother's ID. Scott was sentenced to death, but was resentenced in 2021 after he was granted a new trial. Scott believes that a burglary that took place right across the street from the Peterson's home had something to do with Lacey's murder. The Los Angeles Innocence Project says that they intend to seek a retrial on behalf of Scott. The organization said police had failed to investigate critical evidence thoroughly. Uh, and so, obviously, I mean, an infamous case, um, I mean, this has been going on for 20 years, right? Um, and so, I mean, everyone who knows about true crime knows about Lacey Peterson intimately, I feel like. And I'm showing my age a little bit here, but <laughs> I remember when all of this unfolded, I was in high school, and this case, like, it it basically was going on all four years that I was in high school. And then to have it resurface, you know, in 2021... Right. And all of these new developments happen. It's just, it's crazy to think yeah. about. And and a little like like um like 
like note here, I suppose. Like, so a lot of people have been talking about the Innocence Project, the Innocence Project. Um, the Innocence Project put out a statement saying that they, that this is like a different, like a slightly different operation. Like the like this is the Los Angeles Innocence Project, not the Innocence Project. Um, and so that's a pretty important distinction, I suppose, at least to them. Um, and so the, like, you know, take that as you will, I suppose. Um, but the Innocence Project, obviously, I mean, their, their, you know, reputation precedes them. I mean, they have, they've taken, all sorts of different cases. I couldn't even begin to name them, frankly, um, because they've, they've they've taken a lot of high profile cases and a lot of high profile cases that have ended up in in conviction reversals too. So it, it's it's a big deal. This is not to be taken lightly. Yeah, it definitely is. All right, Michelle, what you got? Okay, who else has been following that crazy story out of oh. Kansas City? where the three guys were found dead outside of their friend's home after watching a Chiefs game. I mean, how many people have done this, you know, just to go watch their favorite team, especially the Chiefs Mm -hmm. right now, they're on fire. And, you know, there's just so much hype with all of that. It's just, it's insane to think. Everyone has been waiting to find out how David Harrington, Clayton McGinney, and Ricky Johnson died. They were found dead in the backyard of their friend Jordan Willis's home, The Kansas City Police Department has received the toxicology report for all three men that just came out, and it shows that there were, quote, several substances in their body. Toxicology reports determine if there were any substances like alcohol, drugs, and more in a person's body at the time of their death. Now, police have said from the beginning of this investigation, they do not suspect foul play in the investigation, and that this is not a homicide investigation. Now, Willis, the guy who held the watch party and lived in that home, he has since checked into rehab. His attorney says that Willis had no idea that his friends were dead outside. Mm. Now that the toxicology reports are back, the medical examiner will use that information to determine a cause of death. But It's not like that's going to happen overnight. Mm. That could take several more weeks. And then that information will be turned over to the police department for them to continue their investigation and determine where the case goes from there. But like this story has been making headlines everywhere and it's just like, what happened? I mean, yeah, I know it is crazy. And, and again, when I first heard about this, I, I like my initial instinct um, was some kind of like, cause this all happened during that like freak winter storm that came across the country. And and my initial assumption was, oh, they got trapped outside. They must've, you know, they must've just frozen to death. Right. Like, and especially um, there's lots of different re- re- um, research and, and, you know, reports that show that alcohol and your, and or drug use can like exacerbate the, the effects um, that extreme extreme temperatures can have in your body. Um, like you can get really bad, you know, like skin cancer for, um, for, you know, for being out in the sun for, for, you know, for too long, just because you drink a little more alcohol than normal and, and the reverse effects as well and in different conditions too. Um, but the several substances, man, I mean, I, I, there are like, there's lots of reporting as Michelle and I were, we were all talking about, um, you know, you know, at the beginning of the, of the episode, um, before we start reporting, um, there's lots of different reporting on what those substances are are it's kind of iffy it sounds like right and so i don't really know how like confirmed any of that is so i don't i think we, we don't really want to say that here um so yeah yeah but it, but it, i mean that adds a different layer to this absolutely mm-hmm. it it definitely does and you know the families of uh those victims they've said you know maybe there were some substances that might be found in their bodies but that doesn't mean that they deserve to die you know what i mean and uh, you know the other thing that's just kind of weird about it all is like they had been out there for two days Mm. like girlfriends and family members of of those guys were like where are you where are you until one of them finally went and was like knocking on the door and that's when police showed up and you know the the guy that lived in the home like answered and said that he had been asleep for two days and you know some Mm. people are like how in the world can that happen You know, it, and I think some people have brought up like the the career background of the friend that lived in the right. home that, mm-hmm. you know, if he wanted to do something, he could have, you know, that's kind of all rumor, the rumor mill. Um, but it, it is enough to just be like, wow, how can something like that happen? Yeah. I mean, right. 
Right. And, you know, because uh, we just covered the Ryan Stuka case on this on this podcast, which I have not been able to get out of my brain since the first time I heard about this like years ago. Um, and so uh, it's it's kind of funny. It's because it's kind of the same idea because it's like this mysterious situation. Record cold temperatures were involved. Alcohol was involved. Different substances were involved. And it's just interesting to me that like there are so like think about how many cases are out there where drugs were involved, where alcohol was involved. And like it's just you're it's just like like recreational things that like people have been involved in many, many times before will be involved in many, many times after. But you're put into like you're putting yourself into this situation where like you're where you're your mind is cl- is clogged again not not in like a again not in a victim blamey way here at all but just because you're putting yourself but like these situations are inherently f- fuzzy right like when you go to ask people about what happened you're like did that happen did i i don't know like it's just it's just one of those situations um where it's it, the it's inherently un- unclear right it, yeah and it's just it it's a risk that you um take you know even just like an antibiotic from the doctor that they prescribe you know it says on the bottle do not drink but i think lots of people out there been like well i can have just one glass glass of wine wine with dinner (laughs) right you know (laughs) (laughs) right so it it kind of it's just it's a risk that um that you take when you decide to to have a drink or or you know, do something like that. Absolutely. But I've also seen autopsy reports that yes, there might have been things found in the toxicology section, but that's not what at all led to the person's cause of death. That could be someone trying to mask the cause of death and hoping that people just assume, Oh, it was an overdose. They found fentanyl or whatever. But again, not, we don't know that that's what happened to these guys, but it is possible that, you do have something else mm. in your system, but that's not why you died. Yeah, no, that that's a great point, right? Yeah, because because I remember there was like this there, there was this case I covered, and it was the it was the Jenna Frank's case actually. Um, it was uh, episode twenty something, um, twenty six maybe if I, I believe so of, of the Crime Over Wine pod, podcast. Um, and that was there was in that situation I very much so remember because I covered that as a local news reporter. Um, and there were all sorts of wounds all up and down her body. Um, but yet there was like this real like intense for some reason like from a public perception standpoint fixation on the fact that she had drugs in her system um and it just like always ever since i've just rubbed me the wrong way right because it's like it's like just because you do drugs like obviously like like regardless of what happens to you you don't deserve to be stabbed a hundred times but like like what does that what does that say right because it's like what like what does that really say about the situation if we're like fixating so hard on like and like a lot of those drugs can be like can be like like mis misreads right because there's a lot of situations where like your body will naturally you know form alcohol for example right and like it can be passed as alcohol even though you never had a drink um and that and that i mean that's a reality of the situation and so um so it, it just it it's like it's an interesting kind of like thing that like once we find out that there's drugs or alcohol involved it's suddenly like so much more salacious um but but when we're like maybe maybe right that like once once more information comes out maybe we find out that that actually had nothing to do with them like maybe there maybe there are all sorts of wounds on their body that we just don't know about yet right because police haven't shared that hypothetically speaking of course we don't know that and that's why it takes so long to get toxicology reports back for cause of death to come back because like just because that report came back that report has a bunch of chemicals and things that were found in the body and then it has the percentage of of how much Mm. of that was Mm -hmm. actually in the body and that could be like maybe someone did you know cocaine two weeks ago i i don't know how long that stays in your body but could it, it could be something that maybe you did a while ago mm. but that doesn't mean that you did it that right. night you know and so that is where the medical examiner and their expertise and their craft and, and their career um or field rather is is that's where it's important and that's where it comes to play because they have to sit and and do all the calculations of okay this much is what was found in the blood this is you know how big their body is and kind of calculate it and that's where they determine 
this contributed, mm-hmm. this did not. Just because something is found in your body doesn't mean that it killed right. you. Right, and it, it, and it, it, even if it maybe if it did kill you, right? Like, maybe who's to say that somebody did that to you at the same time too, right? Like maybe like mm-hmm. it could have been, um, you know, it could have been them taking it on their own accord. It could have been something or it could have been someone, it could have been must, something much more mischievous here, um, you know, or maybe if it, even if it wasn't, you know, a fatal dose of, of whatever was found in their, whatever several substances were found in their bodies, um, maybe they were locked outside during this, you know, intense, this t- intense snowstorm. And so we just need to know, we just, we just need to know what all happened, right? Like, we need to like mm-hmm. I like that that's the situation here is that like 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 this slow jump of information in this like real interesting case, but we need to know like like there needs to be a lot more details that come out. And I think pretty safe to say in this case, certainly, that they're holding some things close to the chest. Um, or this is really just seems to be what it is, right? Yeah. And when you're able to zoom out and look at the picture as a whole, or maybe as much of a whole as you're gonna get. That's when you really are able to see the situation for what it is. Mm. Um, And that's where you you really have to trust the people that are in charge of doing this. You know what I mean? And you can't just fly off and make one judgment off of one little piece of information because that's not the whole picture. Yeah. And it's, and it's really easy for, um, for folks like us who are so involved in true crime, right. And so interested in true crime to like want that, right. Because it's like someone dies and you just need to know everything because like you listen to these cases and it's, you know, again, neatly tied up in a bow in an hour and you know exactly what happened within an hour. But that's not how you know real criminal investigations work um so you know again patience is key um you know again i'm I'm more so telling myself that than anything else if we're being honest so (laughs) yeah it definitely like especially in the current age of technology we live in where we're so connected around the world social media i mean law enforcement posts so much on social media now that we get updates almost instantaneously on cases but at the same time, they need to do their job thoroughly and well, because right. at the end of the day, they're serving a victim and their family and making sure that they get justice if that is needed here. And you have to give them the time to make sure they have the evidence they need and they're laying out the facts that they need and they can prove that. Otherwise, the victim isn't going to get the trial and the outcome they deserve. Right. Yeah. No, super important to keep all that in mind. Um, because, you know, too often, you know, like shady journalists, right. will like publish things that they're, that they really shouldn't have. Um, and then all of a sudden things get much harder. And so, you know, ethical journalism, ethical true crime journalism is important. Um, and I know that you both know that, and that's why I'm so glad you're here. And Heather, what do you have this week? So the case I'm sharing this week is about a Maryland deputy killed in the line of duty 52 years ago. However, there have been new developments in what was a cold case in the last couple of weeks. Deputy Justin Hall worked for the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, and on October 23, 1971, he covered another deputy shift, and that included working security outside of a country club. That night, Deputy Hall came across two burglary suspects. One of them shot Hall in the head when he shined a flashlight at them. The deputy was rushed to the hospital, but unfortunately never regained consciousness. Paul died three days later. The investigation didn't get far over the years until the Montgomery County cold case detectives reopened it in 2021. Among the evidence, they found an old reel-to-reel recording of an interview from 1973. The FBI was able to digitize that audio, allowing the detectives to hear Larry David Becker share what he claimed to know about Hall's killing. He was sharing this information in hopes he'd be given leniency in an unrelated burglary case he was just arrested for. At that time, investigators discounted his story, saying he was lying, but the cold case detectives felt Larry knew enough details to place him at the scene, so they started to track him down. And in that search, investigators learned Larry had changed his name to Larry Smith and moved to upstate New York. In 2022, detectives knocked on the then 70-year-old's door. They ended up interviewing him for about four hours, slowly introducing the 1971 murder of the deputy into the conversation. The detectives told Smith they found the old recording and they wanted to know what he saw. They also assured Smith if the shooting wasn't on purpose, it wasn't really murder. Smith said, quote, I would never intentionally try to shoot anybody. One detective asked if he was saying he accidentally shot the deputy, to which Smith replied, I guess so. 
They then got Smith to repeat it several times. And within hours, the detectives obtained a warrant to charge Smith with first-degree premeditated murder. Smith's trial started mid-January of this year. The defense argued Smith, with an IQ of 83 and failing memory, was impressionable and accepted what the detectives suggested to him as the truth. However, prosecution claims Smith's confession is valid, and it's, quote, a core memory. The jury deliberated for days before telling the judge they couldn't reach a unanimous verdict, so a mistrial was declared. Smith remains in jail with no bond, and his retrial is set to begin June 17th of this year. Hmm. So, so he, so he admitted on, on a hot mic that he, that he did this or that he knew more about this. Am I right about that? And then, and then later on said, oh, I did it by accident. So in, um, 1975, it was two years after the shooting. Mm -hmm. So 1973, he was arrested for a burglary. And in a desperate move, he was hoping he would get leniency if he was like, hey, I know information about that deputy's mm. shooting. So they they let him say what he had to know. And overall, at that point, they said he was lying and none of that was true. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Man. Okay. So I think this just goes to show you, I think that like it's never too late to put these some of these cases to bed, right? Because I think that there's so much, there's so much there to unpack for sure and like going back to 1973 of all this yeah and so both the victim's daughter of uh, deputy hall and the suspect's daughter um are alive at this point uh mm. hall's daughter testified in court as well as smith's and smith's daughter actually told investigators she called him after that interview and seemed kind of confused, and he was like, I guess I killed someone. Like, he wasn't even mm. sure, and she was like, no, that's not something you guess about. You yeah. did or you didn't. Right. It was a four-hour interview process, and as they got into it, they were like, so, I mean, if you did do it, and it was an accident, it's not murder, mm. and then kind of working into, so are you saying you accidentally shot the deputy? Mm. So you're yeah. saying you shot the deputy? Uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about his age being that old, you know, mm -hmm. in his 70s. Um, if he really does have an IQ, you know, if, if he did not have anyone advocating for him, whether that be a lawyer, a family member, to really understand what's going on here and what what's on the line i don't know i don't feel good about it but i i see the other side too you know you've got a you've got a family of a law enforcement officer that's waited so freaking long yeah. wanting to know what happened you know but having the wrong person isn't gonna be justice either exactly but like i wonder if there's a connection between the two like did they know each other were they around each other the suspect was only 19 years old when all this happened wow and um there are reports that the burglary he was arrested for and questioned for in 1973 that during this four hour long interview in 20 in the 2000s um that he started confusing the two mm. and then started adding details to it that may or may not have been true because I mean, this is also the 70s. There's no surveillance video. There's like, it's not what we have today at all. The fact they had to have the FBI digitize the audio yeah, should kind of show you just how little evidence they have compared to today. Right. Yeah. 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 And right. And who, who know, even knows how reliable that is either. That's, I would be, I'd be curious to know like the experts, how actually like an, like an independent expert, how, how confident they actually feel in what they're hearing. Yes, because they um one of the reports I read did indicate it even after the FBI was able to digitize it, the audio quality is still not great. Man, that's an interest. You brought it's an interesting one, Heather. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I wanna know what happens. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then especially too, because we don't see a lot of like hung juries a lot of times either, right? And so um mm -hmm. the fact that now we're at a place where cause cause that's the big thing, right? Is that like that's why like so many people take plea deals, right? Because you just don't mm -hmm. know about a jury like you just don't know about a jury right again oj simpson oj simpson and so like the like this is just fascinating to me that you're 
like like it's it's that i mean i i feel like it like i don't like i don't know what what michelle's feeling right now but i like i would i would venture a guess that like we probably have three very different opinions about what happened here and look at the at the jury of our peers you know like very much so on the same bench of that they're they're split on the middle of this thing and it, and it's having real life consequences what 50 years later yeah more than that and um a couple of things to add also for your consideration um Smith has maintained his innocence since he was charged. Mm-hmm. Um, he and his attorney is looking to have at least one charge dismissed, including the premeditated murder. I'm so curious to know where they got the premeditated murder from, because I'm not really seeing evidence of that necessarily, unless it's just like it just doesn't seem as though he's being completely truthful about the I mean, which they clearly aren't buying that that, that it was a that it was a big accident. Um, but it, I just, I'm not really seeing like a direct tie to premeditation here. Yeah. Cause even the original reporting from police about the actual killing of the deputy was he was working, came upon two people carrying what appeared to be stolen goods. He asked them, Hey, what are you guys doing? And shined a flashlight at him. And one of them shot him twice. Wow. One hit his hand and the other hit him like by the ear. And unfortunately, that ended up being a deadly shot. Yeah. And can we also take a moment to talk about how, you know, again, like we don't give enough credit here because a lot of times um, we're talking about victims that are not in law enforcement. We don't really do a lot of cases that of, of victims in law enforcement. But just to give credit to the to the fact that this is not an easy job, right? Like, again, we we can sit here armchair quarterback this thing all day long about how the, how cases are investigated. But these people are putting themselves into precarious, precarious and and dangerous situations on the regular. And I think this is just a really good example of of that. Right. Of of how of how hard that job can be. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that he had picked this shift up. The other deputy he was filling in for had actually called him during dinner and was like, hey, can you cover for me? And he asked his wife and she's like, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and go. And Mm. The, the fact that he wasn't even supposed to be there. And I can't imagine what his wife felt like after all this happened. Cause she said it was okay. And it is, it's more dangerous despite all the calls for reform and everything. Like, yes, every profession can be better, but th- there's, in, there's danger in that job. Like mm. no matter how you put it, whether they're good or bad, they're, is an underlying danger every time that they clock in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, I, cause when you just said that, cause I don't listen, I've said it over and over and over again. I do not believe in coincidence when it comes to homicide investigations. Um, and so the fact that it just so happened that he was there, maybe that's like a part of this that we just don't know yet that, that points to premeditation that that make that is kind of interesting to me that like maybe like maybe he knew that like that this even if like this other officer or deputy wasn't necessarily directly involved um you know which i'm not necessarily insinuating here but like the maybe maybe this larry guy potentially knew at least from according to investigators that this dude was subbing in and like had it out for him some way shape or form i I don't know i i feel like i'm stretching here but that's i'm i'm trying to make sense of the of the premeditated charge. Cause I'm not really hearing that. I'm stuck a little bit on. Okay, Larry, why'd you change your name? Fair. You know, why, why do people change their names? I don't know. I mean, so there is an answer to that. Actually. Um, Larry oh. was born Larry Smith. He was adopted at a younger age and became Larry Becker. And had a terrible home life and ended up running away and lived on the streets for most of his life. Mm. And after he moved and got away from that adoptive family, he moved from Maryland to New York. Um, He changed his name back to his birth name, Larry Smith. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense, but had that situation not happened, like I can understand that, but I can't really think of a, like why else would someone change their name you know yeah what I mean? even if it's even if it's back to their original name what i can't get over is why in 1973 just two years after this murder law enforcement was like no he's lying 
they yeah, were much yeah. closer to the investigation than the cold case detectives are now, I'm mm. sure. Yeah, Heather, this is a tough one. We're, you're going to have to keep us updated on this one. Um, please let us know all the developments because um, I am confident that the people at home are, are going to be banging on our doorstep trying to figure out what the heck <laughs> happened here. So wait a minute. A mistrial was declared, but he's, he's in jail with no bond waiting for his retrial? That is correct. That and is I could not find an explanation for that. Interesting. I wonder if that one is going to be streamed on court TV. No, I like that. I, I love watching. Um, <laughs> we know you do. Gavel to Gavel. Yeah. I like, I would sit and watch that all day. Um, so yeah. little, um, little for all the listeners at home, little known fact about um, Michelle is that she's a huge court lady. Um, it, it, when Michelle, and, when I used to sit next to Michelle at work, um, she judged Judy all night long, baby. Um, she's a huge, she's a huge judge Judy fan. So that that's her girl. I I have signed I have four signed pictures of her and it is still my dream to meet her <laughs> one day like I really want to meet her how do you get signed pictures of Judge Judy people that know me um that give them to me as gifts were were they defendants in her courtroom no no I guess you can just like get them and then um one like actual priceless gift was when I, I left TV briefly or I left news briefly for about a, a year. And when I left the station, they did like a like a little montage, like goodbye video of like people saying goodbye. And at the very end, they had a little clip from Judge Judy mm-hmm. in her home saying like, good luck, Michelle. This is Judge Judy, you know, and like she has marble floors of course she does she's judge she judy. has marble floors yes yes like it you can tell that is judge judy's <laughs> home anyway i i freaking love her like she is a queen in my book crime over one weekly will be right back and we're going to be highlighting some missing persons cases and let's see if we can do these fa- Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers learning materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at Study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, study.com. Welcome back to Crime Over Wine Weekly. We're now going to take a few minutes to talk about some missing persons cases from across the country. First up, we have 22-year-old Darius Appia. He's been missing since January 24th of this year out of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Now, he is described as a black man, brown hair, brown eyes, about 5'11", maybe 170 pounds. Um, A GoFundMe that has been set up by his family shares a little bit more details surrounding kind of the, the day that he went missing. Darius was picking up a meal that he had ordered after leaving work, and he hasn't been seen since. His car was discovered by police in a park two days after he went missing. His family is raising money to hire a private investigator. They're also, they want to use some of that money to offer a reward to encourage participation from the community and also help with search efforts. The GoFundMe has already raised $16,000. His mother and his family, obviously they're distraught. They've held search parties for him. Virginia State Police say that he is considered an at-risk missing person. His disappearance poses a, quote, credible threat to his health and safety, as determined by the investigating agency. He was last seen wearing a blue winter coat, blue jeans, and brown hiking boots. Again, his name is Darius Appia. He's 22 years old. If you have any information about where he may be, call 911 or the Stafford County Sheriff's Office at 540-658-4450. And that's out of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hmm. You know, it's always interesting to me 
because I'm about to talk about a case very shortly um, about a person um, who whose car was also found very shortly after they went missing. And it's always interesting to me because I never really know what to make of that. Right. Because it's like it could either be something malicious or something suspicious or it could be, you know, in this case, it could possibly be that he, you know, left his car somewhere and went into a park and who knows right like because it seemed I, I like like the 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 vaguety here of of you know at risk missing person and that he poses a credible threat to his to his health and safety could mean a lot of things you know like yeah. it's just it's all very vague and obviously intentionally vague um you know but it, it's just it's interesting it, like the, the circumstances here are interesting because i could see this going one of two ways yeah it, it- and you you never know what could happen. I mean, you know, I eat in my car a lot of times. <laughs> uh, sometimes I just don't like to wait. I'm too hungry and I don't want to wait until I get home. I just want to eat right now um, alone in my car. Relatable. And, you know, and maybe he ate and got out. And I don't know, maybe there was a body of water and he could have just been standing near there and maybe fell um i i don't know i've also had like just sometimes people with not good intentions can come up to you I... and and who knows what happens and then you're gone um who knows here but he he is considered at risk obviously his family is just desperate and wanting to know where he's at and it it really looks like the community is coming together i mean the fact that you know, it's been about two weeks and they've already raised $16,000. I think that says a lot that, you know, people want to help this family and they want to help bring Darius home. And this is one of those cases that, you know, is playing out right now. If you're listening to this, you know, shortly after we drop this episode, it's playing out as we speak. And it's, and if you're in the Fredericksburg, Fredericksburg, Virginia area, you can help. Right. And that's, that's so important. And that's why we are doing this podcast, right? Because you can lend a hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Heather, what, what you got this week? So Detrez Green has been missing for seven years. The Georgia boy was just two years old when his mother reported him missing on January 22nd, 2017. This was just hours after a tornado hit their neighborhood in Albany. This week, WALB spoke with Detrez's grandfather, who says he believes the boy went missing before the storm, Mm. citing a history of domestic incidents between the boy's parents. Police say Detrez's family has never shared a photo of the boy with investigators, leaving the case at a standstill. Investigators are still asking anyone with information to contact them. You can call the Doherty County Police Department at 229 Four three zero six six zero zero, or the GBI at two two nine seven 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 two zero eight zero, and you can also submit tips through the GBI's See Something Send Something app. Oh, yeah, Heather, I'm not gonna lie, I don't like this one at all. Um, I don't like when it involves children, first of all. Um, but I also don't like that there's weird circumstances here, all masked by a tornado. Uh, yeah like was the tornado a convenient cover-up or did it actually have something to do with with this two-year-old's disappearance correct and when seven years ago when this happened police initially said that there should have been some evidence if he was pulled out of the home by the tornado and they didn't find that yeah you think so you think there'd be something something Right. Like I, I, that's what, like, again, like thinking of Ryan Stuka, like there, like if he, if Ryan Stuka like went out into the, into the wilderness and froze to death, you would, you would have found something and same thing here. Right. Like if, there, if it was a natural disaster that killed this young boy, you would have found a piece of clothing. You would have found shoes. You would have found blood. You would have found something. Yeah. And they, they didn't just search his home. They searched that whole neighborhood. They crossed yeah. county lines that, Search was very intense for days, if not weeks, right after it happened and for a very long distance. Yeah. Well, and they and like I've heard like like tornadoes can rip you out of your home and throw you like like yards Mm -hmm. away, like hundreds of yards away. So like that doesn't seem too odd to me. But like the fact that like there's weird stuff going on at home. Right. And like that, like that, that is not sitting well with me, first of all. And second of all, the fact that they, that like the family never 
shared pictures like that is not sitting well with me at all and like the and like again the fact that they have not found a single piece of evidence that he was there during the tornado is is not something i'm liking yeah it makes you wonder i mean because this happened in 2017 i mean people at least have a picture on their phone right you know like why wouldn't you at least share a picture with the people that are trying to help find your child Mm -hmm. i mean that really just doesn't sit well with me and it, it makes you wonder like why what why why wouldn't you yeah and it, it reminds me too of the sneha philip case um if you guys remember we did that like one of the first episodes of crime over wine it was the case um she went missing on 9-11 in new york city um and so that was like there was like talk that maybe she ran toward the twin towers and there were like a lot of people like i think like a thousand people i want to say um, who who still have not been like definitively identified as being at ground zero and so like that kind of tracks there too but like it just seems odd to me that like like again like it's similar vibes in terms of like with sneha like there were like a lot of weird things happening up leading up until her disappearance and so it just seems odd that like she just happened to be one of the people who like there wasn't any evidence that she was at ground zero same thing here where like with detrez like there was a lot of weird things happening up leading up to his disappearance and like a tornado comes just happens to come and like then no one has seen detrez and still hasn't seen him for seven years Hmm. like Mm -hmm. you'd think that like like a disappearance like a disappearance like that with a tornado involved would be less like would be a little more random and less you know like you know like Heidi, you know what I mean? You know, like that you think that again, you'd think there would be something. Yeah. Cause e- I mean, even playing devil's advocate here. Okay. If they shared a picture that they had of him now, somehow he is alive. A two year old seven years later is not going to look any, anything right. like that. And let's say that, you know, you did live through the tornado. There was, it was a traumatic experience. Your cell phone was destroyed there are stories all the time that go viral about someone's photo being found miles away. There has to be some shred of photographic evidence that this was your child. Right. But even in the initial stages of this investigation, police were talking to family members. Mm. Some family members have never even seen the little boy. Hmm. Yeah. I don't like that. And, and like, Heather, you mentioned about, you know, tornadoes can carry debris miles and miles away. I've, I've covered those stories. Um, one specifically comes to mind when I was reporting in Eastern Kentucky, it was found several, several miles away. Um, so that can happen. And the, the actual picture was still intact, which is crazy. Mm. The people that found it on their farmland, uh, they would go around to different, um, like, flea markets and they they would carry it and just have it in their booth and be like, does anybody know who these people are? And it just so happened that um, the husband in the picture, the belt that he was wearing had uh, the family's last name, like, not engraved, but you know how, like, you do with leather? You, like, burn it mm-hmm. into the leather. Mm-hmm. It had their last name, like, burnt into the leather on his belt. And and someone said, wait a minute, I, I know some people by that last name that live over here and it traveled through the grapevine and they were able to reconnect the picture with the family it was it was an insane story but um Mm -hmm. but getting back to what we're talking about yeah it just doesn't but also and think about it if a little boy if a two-year-old survived a tornado somewhere wouldn't people in this other community where he was found like rally to try and find right where he belongs yeah you know what i mean well assuming that he was found i suppose right if that's what you're if that's what you're saying and like yeah i do feel like because we're talking about albany georgia and like i'm not super i've never been to albany georgia um and so i'm not super familiar with the area but i do know that like the surrounding areas like you know not too far from albany is pretty or pretty woodsy right and so like maybe he like got thrown into the woodsy areas i don't know i'm stretching here it's a stretch don't get me wrong but like like nothing else really makes sense out of this i feel like a lot of like the national weather service and those those people and surveyors and stuff they're gonna follow the 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 debris path and Mm, mm -hmm. you know so if there if it was like someplace that was woodsy or where there was damage they're gonna go and survey that area to 
see what they can see. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like that's, it's not like it would be unchecked. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, and to an extent. Yeah. And certainly like a toddler is a lot more, um, you know, like a lot more predictable in terms of travel paths than a photograph. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so I would imagine that you're, you're probably right. Like I, if he was carried by this tornado, he would have been, along the path somewhere you're definitely right about that right and they and they like do they walk that to like you know determine mm-hmm. all of that kind of thing to make sure that it is actually a tornado um that touched down <sighs> but again i keep going back to like the fact that like this home life was just not good and like these parents just did not do anything to help their to, to help find their kid which is infuriating in a different so worlds yeah i just i man Man, I yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of this. Heather, you have some good ones this week. You're bringing us some some some, some real head scratchers here. Thank you. I live to confuse the masses. <laughs> good. Uh, well, <laughs> job accomplished. Mission accomplished there for sure. Um, well, I have I have a case, y'all. Um, that that I think is gonna that there's not a whole lot to know about, but there's a lot to unpack. Um, and so let's talk about that. Um, because we are talking about Sarah Graham. Um, and today, actually, if y'all are listening, the day that this episode came out um, marks nine years since anyone has seen or heard from the 18-year-old. This takes us to Fairmount, North Carolina, about an hour south of Fayetteville. She worked at a local Walmart store in nearby Pembroke, North Carolina. She left her house in Fairmont to go to the store um, in the morning, which was about 20 minutes from home, but she never ended up getting there. About midday, police ended up finding her van abandoned along a road that's like a back road kind of area, but like still like a like a yellow striped road um, that was um, likely on her route that was she would have been taking to work, but they did not find Sarah. Investigators have recently said that they haven't been able to find any evidence that Sarah did indeed leave for work that morning, though, interestingly, um, in the more like recent updates that they've been talking about here. So, which, like, to me says, like, one of two things, right? That, like, they're either casting doubt as to whether or not she actually did leave her house or just simply saying that, like, you know, as we are verifying every step of this process, we haven't been able to verify this one step. So, I guess take that as you will. Um, But there, you know, according to them, there wasn't really anything all that off about Sarah's life around this time. Everything about her seemed to be pointing to the fact that she was really enjoying her life in Fairmount, according to investigators. The FBI did step in eventually to lead this investigation into Sarah's disappearance, which all but seemed to have gone cold. If it hadn't been for a seemingly random spiked interest in the case just this past June. Investigators with the Robeson County Sheriff's Office conducted a ground search with canines throughout this farm near where Sarah's van was found. It's not clear if they found anything significant from that search. If they did, they didn't say it publicly. But the FBI said that after several interviews, they didn't think that everyone they spoke to was being 100% honest about what they knew about Sarah's disappearance, including someone who they described as being, quote, very close to Sarah. If you know anything about Sarah Graham's disappearance, call the Robeson County Sheriff's Office at 910-671-3100 or the FBI Charlotte office at 704-672-6100. There is a $5,000 reward for information that leads to Sarah's location. Wow. You really like, you feel for her. 18 years old. That's so Mm -hmm. young. Just trying to go to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she, and you like, go look up pictures of her. It's, she just looks like a very normal teenage girl, right? Like, I mean, it's really, there's like a lot of times in these type of situations, like, like again, my initial instinct in almost all cases involving like people who just seem to vanish into thin air is like, you know, gang activity is like mob activity, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that just did not seem to be, again, from, you know, if appearances mean anything to y'all. Um, that did not seem to be the situation with Sarah because she, again, she just looked like a normal, hardworking young girl, probably going to school, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just, it was just one of those situations where it was just like, you are going to your job. Like you're getting up, you're doing the same thing that we had done over and over and over again without fail, without any problems. And mm-hmm. what was, what was different about this day is what I want to know. What, what changed on February 4th, 2015 that Sarah suddenly vanished early on in that story. You're saying that, you know, potentially one, one reason to share an early piece of information was casting doubt on if she even left home. Yeah. So 
at this point is that confirmed did she did she leave do we know that for sure we don't know that for sure and and that was actually uh, we, i said that pretty early in the in this in the you know story but um that was actually some of the more recent information that we've received um because again so they so they just started searching again in june of 2023 and as part of that like reinvigoration and like re like like renewed interest in this case the investigators also told reporters that they haven't been able to verify that she that she left home. The the cynic in me is is saying the investigators are playing chess here because mm. they've <laughs> said certain things to the media that are typically not said. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently, casting doubt on did she even leave, and then that someone very close to right. her wasn't being truthful it almost sounds like they're trying to like smoke that person out with this media coverage correct and get them to like cave in like i'm sorry pios we know you play games too like not play games but we we know that you are using what you say in the media sometimes to try to draw someone out see and i think that's why heather picked the wine today because it says a rosé with dark secrets. She can kind Ooh. of smell when there's dark secrets. <laughs> right. Well, but but to that point though too, right? Like the dark secret of this like definitely seems to be, you know, revolving around whoever this like like mysterious person that was so close to Sarah. Like again, like to Heather's point, like they never really say that like in general police mm-hmm. meeting. And so the fact that like they like but like they don't that they don't say who it is specifically right like who is that like uh, it's just it's all it's all kind of odd and i'm like i'm i don't know i'm just i'm just i want to know who this person is and like clearly they know clearly they have suspicions about them they just need to be able to pin something on them and maybe even catch them slipping up a little bit okay but then to kind of conspiracy theorist here but let's then let's go with there's not that person. There wasn't mm. someone close to her, but they feel someone close to her might know more than they're saying. Sure. So now you have her best friend, mm. any exes or current boyfriend, her family, cousins, whatever, teachers who might have been close to her being like, oh, God, is that me that they're talking about? Like, mm. mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, no, that that is interesting. That's an interesting well, take. And also think about it, it's been nine years, you know, so yeah. sometimes people might not remember what they said nine years ago. So when they're going back to re-interview them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then thing, like, things might change, you know, because if you're trying to hide something, you're it, it gets harder and harder to remember what you're what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and and again, so I like I go back to the fact that like they seemed like seemingly out of the blue, like they never really explained why they started researching this like farmy kind of area um, that was near near where their where the where this van was found. And so I'd be I'd be curious to know like what what sparked that up again. You know what I mean? Because it's like it's it's just it, it, it was not an anniversary. Like it didn't really seem as though at least from what they said that there was any new evidence that they found that suggested anything and so maybe it was kind of what you're saying like maybe they just were like you know we're catching this person this person that was, that was so close to sarah you know like seemingly vulnerable in some way shape or form and this just seemed to be like the way to just like put pressure on this person true it's just odd because because you don't see that often where it's just like eight years later seemingly out of the blue you're just gonna research a farm just because mm-hmm. yeah like someone someone either said something or saw something in right. a recent time frame that gave them that because it's not cheap either like correct and, and it's not like these agencies just have the spare cash lying around to do kind of searches like that it's well thought out and approved by a lot of people before they even start mm. Yeah, I wonder if in either they got a tip about something or if in the past there's been so, some sort of like just suspicious activity or just kind of right. like people hanging around that area that yeah. maybe shouldn't be hanging around. Yeah, but I yeah. agree with Heather. Like there there's a reason why yeah. 
they were looking. Yeah. Oh, they ha- there has to be a reason, right? And like to that point too, especially in these kinds of parts of the country where it's like it's a fairly rural area, like they know like those spots, right? Like there and there are a lot of those spots in those parts of the country, right? Um, mm-hmm. and like they know those spots that like the suspicious people are like think that they can get away with stuff in. Like they like police know a lot more than like than like they you know they you know let on, I suppose, right? Like they know this the suspicious like parts of the of the of town that like that the weird kids usually to, like to hang out in so i, I just feel there like to your point there has to be something um i'd be I, I mean it feels like if we are gonna get somewhere it's gonna be fairly soon right like i mean we're getting cl- further and further away from june of 2023 but we're definitely getting further away from february of 2015 and i think the fact that there's five thousand dollars that are that's up for grabs here um you know, a, a lot of cases you don't always have a reward that's being offered. Right. Um, and, and love it or hate it, but money talks. And yeah. some people, they are willing to, to talk if it means that they can get cash in their hand. And $5,000 is a lot of money to some yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is all that we have for you this week. Um y'all that was our first episode and wow i mean i think we set the bar pretty high i think we did (laughs) after this y'all i think we're gonna have to keep going with this you guys realize this now you guys are locked in because people are gonna love this yeah i had anxiety before but now the pressure's on these these were good good cases (laughs) you know what the wine the wine helps um with that i would imagine so um and so i'm very proud of us um no but i'm can i just say for a second because again i've been on this crime over wine journey for a little more than a year i'm so happy to have you both on board on this because i I, this is going to be a great show um i hope everyone else sees the value here and the the opportunity here um and i know that they're going to appreciate you guys for what you guys are bringing to the table um so let me just officially say welcome to the crime vineyard in the in in the permanent real way so i'm i'm just very happy that you guys are here thank you liam i'm so excited my my roots are planted i'm not going anywhere i'm sorry you're stuck <laughs> excellent. with me excellent well we'll plant some we'll plant some grapes um out of those roots so i'm excited for that make our own wine <laughs> correct <laughs> all right well i can't believe we just finished our first episode i feel like i've been like anxiety over this for a long time um so i'm so excited that we're finally launching so if you guys just can't get enough of crime over wine make sure you follow all three of us on facebook twitter and instagram as well as crime over wine on facebook twitter and instagram and we will see you all next sunday for your next episode of crime over wine weekly as well as this coming wine wednesday for your regularly scheduled episode of crime over wine cheers Cheers. proud member of the pod network